minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death's construction In the fields of bodies burning As the war machine keeps turning Death and hatred to mankind Poisoning their brainwashed minds Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia on the National Community Radio Satellite. Listen to the Anarchist World This Week, Australia's sacred cow, Slaughterhouse. Listen to analysis of local, national, international events. Listen to analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Welcome to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. My name's Joseph Toscano, T-O-S-C-A-N-O, and I am responsible for any electoral comment I make regarding the Victorian state election. Ah, well, I've done it now, haven't I? You wonder what Anarchy is all about? Anarchist Society is a society which is based on two concepts. Devolving power, sharing wealth. And why do we come up with those uh, uh, concepts? Very simple. Anarchos without rulers. How do you create a functioning, viable, sustainable society without rulers? You devolve power, you share wealth. So what's the anarchist struggle all about? The anarchist struggle is not waiting for the magic moment in the year 3047 when the whole planet will be an anarchist planet but working towards devolving power and sharing wealth. So you're involved in struggles that want to decentralise power and share wealth. You may not know it, but you're an anarchist as you're working towards the construction of a society where people make the decisions which concern them and share the commonwealth. Now that we've got that over with... Fascinating week. Well, every week is fascinating, especially at my age. You know, if you wake up in the morning, it's fascinating. If you look out the window, it's even more fascinating. Let's start off with disseminated institutional cancer or disseminated institutional carcinoma. Now, I've been a medical practitioner for over 45 or almost 43 years, I should say, over 40 years, almost 43 years, or maybe it's 44, I can't remember. But cancer is interesting, interesting if you haven't got it. If you've got it, well, it's quite nasty, and uh, although we're getting more and more success against it, uh, once it uh, reaches a certain stage, uh, any treatment is basically a waste of time. So what's institutional disseminated carcinoma? Well, currently, younger people especially really have no satisfaction, apologies to mix Jagger, with the current state of affairs. And what we are seeing is an institutional crisis. Every pillar 
the society we live in is crumbling. And younger people see no future for themselves under the current institutional framework. Now let's make it easy. Let's look at it. Democracy. Rule of the people, by the people, for the people. For the last 100, 120 years, we've had representative democracy in Australia. Representative democracy. Not democracy, direct democracy, but representative democracy. And we have seen, and we see it every day, the democratic process and democratic institutions, Houses of Parliament, the local, state and council level, local, state and federal level, have been basically subverted by economic rationalism or irrationalism, have been subverted by corporations who think, who demand that Parliament reflects their opinions and their opinions only. So there's this crisis of democracy because democracy or representative democracy as we see it, where you elect a representative every three to four years to make decisions for you for the next three to four years, is not working. It is not working. And if you want to understand why it's not working, just listen to the Prime Minister. I forget who, who he is these days. You never know of the Australian Prime Minister. A little bit like the old Italian Prime Ministers. You never know who's in power. You know, proudly, proudly shouts to the rooftops, they're going to give an extra $4.5 billion, $4.5 billion to the Catholic and private school sector while not making a mention of the 2.2 million Australian children who go to public schools. Just an extraordinary disconnect. Extraordinary disconnect. So no wonder people are beginning to doubt representative democracy, doubt that it can actually address, let alone fix, their issues. Then over the last few years, we've been regaled, regaled with the criminal activity of religious institutions, of churches, of mosques, of synagogues, of temples. The Royal Commission called by Julia Gillard and her government into institutionalised child abuse lifted the lid on what can only be described as a litany, litany of perversion, which was allowed to continue unchecked by senior members of these religious institutions because they were concerned that it could affect the standing of the religious institutions in the public's mind. So they, for years, for decades, for generations, they decided en masse, 
that the reputation of the religious institution was more important than stopping the wholesale sexual exploitation of children in our society. Then we have the financial institutions. Once again, a Royal Commission, which Mr Morrison, who I understand is our current Prime Minister, unless there's a leadership challenge tomorrow, voted 27 times against the establishment of a Royal Commission into the financial and banking sector. And day after day after day after day after day, we see not the immoral behaviour, not the unethical behaviour, but the illegal behaviour of these institutions as they rip off tens of millions of dollars from ordinary people. Tens of millions of dollars. Extraordinary. Extraordinary situation. Just extraordinary. Then the media. The fossilised, corporate-dominated media and the government guild at ABC, which I'll speak about later on. Apologists. For institutions which have continued to exploit Australians day in and day out. No wonder there is a general disquiet. It's not a disquiet which has broke out in revolutionary fervour. It's not a disquiet which has actually seen people, you know, protest. But it's a disquiet which has seen people withdraw into themselves. Into themselves, isolation, anxiety, depression, a feeling of hopelessness, an inability to initiate change when all the institutions that we have been told for generations to respect have been busily exploiting the majority of people in this country. It's an extraordinary state of affairs to find yourself in in 2018. If somebody asked me in 1968, 50 years ago, when I first, you know, identified as a radical, as an activist, when I was, what, 17? That things would be like this 50 years in the future, I would have laughed. So we are now reaping what we have sown. We have thrown these seeds on barren ground and nothing is sprouting forth. Nothing. And there's the dangerous times because in these periods we think, well, what we need is a white knight on a large horse to ride in and solve all the issues that we face. Well, obviously there are no right white knights on horses. There's bombastic dictatorial types ready to fill the void. And people around the globe seem to be more than happy to put their faith in these people to resolve their issues when they have no capacity 
to resolve these issues. Quite extraordinary. Quite extraordinary. So what do I say to people? Well, I say to people, the isolation you feel, the anxiety you feel, the depression you feel about the current state of affairs is a logical reaction to what's happening. But instead of turning inwards and soothing your pain by becoming a hate monger and blaming the other or trying to find a chemical fix, whether illegal or illegal, to your issue or losing yourself on the World Wide Web, communicating with nobody while thinking you're part of a global village. Well, is it about time that you actually put one foot forward, that you stood up, that you began to walk forwards, that you began to say enough is enough, that you began to understand the problem isn't with you, but the problem is with society itself. It's an institutional paralysis we face. It's a disseminated cancer which will destroy us if we don't turn it around, tackle it, give it chemotherapy, radiation therapy, surgery, or a combination of the three. Because our personal angst is not necessarily an individual issue. This is the 21st century. This is one of the most economically successful nations on the, you know, on the face of the earth, 25 million people living on a continent. We are better than this, much, much better than this. But while we allow these institutional structures to remain unchallenged, while we wait for somebody else to pick up the cudgel, nothing will change. What they say is, you know what they say? They always tell you eternal vigilance is the price you pay for democracy. It's not just eternal vigilance. It's participation. It's activism. Activism. Whether you act within the parliamentary paradigm or whether you act in an extra-parliamentary matter, doesn't matter. What matters is that you are willing to take the struggle up to this dysfunctional system that we have to deal with on a day-to-day basis, which is destroying not only our future, but the future of our children and our grandchildren, that refuses to look at the most basic problems because we want to continue to support a corporate sector, an economic system, corporate capitalism that has that is dangerous, poisonous and destructive. This is the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. Well, we organise lots of things. You can come along to those things. You don't like what we organise? Organise something yourself. The key is to become active. The key is not just to wait for the next state election or the next federal election and just cast a ballot and say, that's it, I've done my job, I'll sit back, I'll watch what the boys and girls do. I mean, look at the concept of democracy. How stupid. Even a mild reform like a citizens-initiated referendum or the power of recall, the power to recall non-performing politicians in between elections. These are simple concepts which can be introduced 
in our system of a government with no constitutional change through parliamentary legislation. We can make changes now. All right. Listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia. Now, if you listen to this program on Wednesday, the 26th of September, and you'd really want to strike a blow against the hate mongers, there is a small ceremony today on the steps of the Victorian Parliament House in Spring Street at 12.30pm. On the 27th of September 2007, a young man, 19, Liap Ojulu, was going about his business when he was attacked by two racists who beat him to death. Here in Melbourne, beat him to death, left him to die. Both men were arrested, prosecuted, found guilty and jailed. And it was quite obvious during the uh, trial that their motive for attacking Liap Ojulu was purely based on the colour of his skin. Not because of what he had done, not because of what he had said, because it was the wrong place at the wrong time. And what we've seen over the last 11 years is a crescendo of hate speech in this country, not just by racists, but by prime ministers, ministers of the cabinet, members of federal parliament, members of state parliament, the tabloid media, the carping commentators on the corporate-owned media using race, using hate speech, corralling, ostracising a segment of our community, the Sudanese community, especially the southern Sudanese community, somehow equating the fortunes and the lives of tens of thousands of people with the actions of a very tiny minority, an isolated, marginalised, ostracised minority. Now, Liap's mother, who has not spoken publicly since 2007, when a 19-year-old son was beaten, kicked to death, here in Noble Park in Melbourne, has been so concerned about the growing hatred, the hate speech that is coming out of not just, you know, your marginalised, ostracised, pathetic, racist elements in our community, that tiny minority, but by leading figures in the media business, corporate and the political world has organised this memorial to her son. Not just for her son, but to ensure other people 
who are different in our community, who look different, are not subjected to the same treatment because words do kill. Creating hysteria in the community against a small minority is dangerous. As we saw when Liap Ojulu was beaten to death. So if you do find yourself in the Melbourne CBD on Wednesday the 26th of September at 12.30pm, there'll be a gathering led by an African-Australian choir, speeches from the family on the steps of the Victorian Parliament House to highlight the dangerous situation we find ourselves in when political leaders, media commentators, use race as a political tool to enhance their political fortunes by generating unnecessary fear in our community. This is the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. My name is Joseph Scott. I'm hosting today's program. Now, manufactured outrage. I love it. I love it. I love manufactured outrage. It's the new big thing, isn't it? Manufactured outrage. Now, I noticed the Australian Broadcasting Corporation has been going through a little bit about manufactured outrage over the last 48 hours. First of all, their uh, managing director gets gets the arse. And then we hear that the the head of the board was trying to sack a few people, or one person in particular, from the ABC because of her commentary. And, you know, the gurus, the limelighters in the Australian Broadcasting Corporation are throwing up their arms about the attacks on the independence of the Australian Broadcasting Corporation. Well, the Australian Broadcasting Corporation lost any independence it had generations ago. I'll give you a simple example. An example I'm familiar with because it, you know, it involved me. Very simple example. And I can assure you there was clapping. There was no outrage when this occurred. In 1999... Yes, almost 20 years ago. Yes, I don't harbour a grudge, but I'd like to bring it up because I usually don't, but it's a good time. And hopefully, hopefully, the fixated threat assessment team won't be knocking on 3CR's door looking for me. But in 1999, I had the pleasure of being invited to act as a commentator on an early morning program, a national program on the Australian Broadcasting Corporation. And it was my job, I think it was a Friday at the end of the week or something, to actually cast a radical viewpoint on the news of the week, which I did. Now, after a few months, the person who was running this particular program, and I won't um, name them because they are still living in the back blocks of the Australian Broadcasting Corporation, who, who hosted the program, who'd been hosting the program for over a decade on national radio, had a tap on the shoulder and was asked to have a little bit of balance on the program. Well, I'm 
happy to have a bit of balance and one of the most conservative senators in Australia, Victorian Senator Julian McGoran, used to pop over from his flat somewhere in the Melbourne CBD at two o'clock in the morning. We'd cross swords for a few more months. We had a bit of balance. And then the news came that the segment was to be abolished. And more importantly, and I can understand that, I accept that, most likely it was boring radio, but most more importantly, the host of the program was to be removed. Was not allowed to broadcast after 10 years of broadcasting this particular program. Removed. Now, although we conducted a campaign against this, was there any outrage from ABC staff? No. Was there any outrage from the ABC Staff Association? No. Was there any outrage from the ABC board? No. Was there any outrage from friends of the ABC? No. Was there any outrage from the upper echelons management of the ABC? No. Bang. It was all over in a few days. Bang, bang, bang. Gone. I don't care that I didn't have to wake up at one, you know, one o'clock in the morning to get to the ABC at two o'clock in the morning to, you know, host this, you know, uh, work, you know, work with the, the, the host. But the fact that the host was removed for having the audacity to invite an anarchist and a radical to give an analysis of the news during the Howard era, you know, was removed. No reaction. Extraordinary. So manufactured outrage, Australian Broadcasting Corporation, keep it up. Keep it up. Because for far too long, the Australian Broadcasting Corporation staff have been kowtowing to the Institute of Public Affairs, kowtowing to the government of the day. And it's about time they did develop a bit of a spine and maybe they will do the impossible and regenerate their spinal cord so they can stand up straight and we can have a bit of in independent journalism in this country. You listen to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. My name's Joseph Scone, I'm hosting today's program. If you'd like to check out my Facebook pages, there's a few of them. Joseph Toscano, Toscano for the Public. We can go to the Peter Norman Commemoration Facebook page, and I'll speak about that in a minute. The uh, Public Interest Before Corporate Interests Facebook page and the web page. You can always join Public Interest Before Corporate Interests. You can down the application form from PIBCI, P-I-B-C-I dot net. P-I-B-C-I dot net. Download the application form. Join today, you know. Stop carrying on like a pork chop. Join today. There are options in the world. There is always options. Whether we decide to take up those options is another matter. And while I'm talking about public interest before corporate interests, we're about to do another massive mail out of uh, members who are not on the, who we think are not on the electoral roll to see if they're still interested in being members and to see if they are actually on the electoral roll. So if you can help us out with dollar stamps. That would be most worthwhile. Send them to Post Office Box 20, 
Parkville 3052. Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. You can leave messages on 0439 395 489. If I don't get back to you straight away, don't despair. We're all volunteers. I will get back to you. 0439 395 489. Okay, let's move on. Oh, yes, and you can go to the Anarchist Media Institute webpage, anarchistmedia.org, anarchistmedia.org. Lots of things happening. Now, let's talk about the Peter Norman Week. Now, I'm sure you're all bored, listless with me talking about the importance of Peter Norman, but not the importance of Peter Norman the man, but the importance of Peter Norman, the legacy of the action Peter Norman took on the 16th of October 1968. And just to remind you, on the 16th of October 1968, almost 50 years ago, Mr Norman, just a nondescript Melbourne school teacher, is good at running, achieved an athletic feat which has not been replicated in this country for the past 50 years. That's right. He won the silver medal in a 200-metre race at Mexico City on the 16th of October 1968, splitting the Afro-American pair, Tommy Smith, who won the gold, and John Carlos, who won the silver. An extraordinary race. I think he raced it in 20 seconds flat. Now Peter Norman was just an ordinary bloke with a good, you know, had a, you know, athletic ability. He trained hard, but he was an ordinary person, just like you and me. You know, he's just another person you see in the streets. And he got caught up in this these tumultuous events. Obviously, in 1968, America was burning. Riots were occurring across the country as people were demanding to be treated as equals, as Afro-Americans were demanding the basic rights which they should have received after the, the South lost the Civil War and slavery was abolished. And the Afro-American members of the United States Olympic track and field team formed an organisation there was, this, there was discussion about boycotting the Mexico Olympics, but then they decided eventually that they would form the Olympic Project for Human Rights. And before they went on the dais, they asked Peter Norman, this ordinary Australian knockabout bloke, a teacher from, you know, from Melbourne, did he believe in universal human rights? Did he believe in God? He answered yes to both questions. They told him what they were going to do. They were going to highlight the situation in America by giving a human rights salute. And if you read both their accounts, it wasn't a black power salute. It was about a human rights salute. It was about each and every individual on the planet having the same rights. And I asked him, will you support our protests? And he said, I will stand with you. I will stand with you. This wasn't his fight. In 1968, we still had the white Australia policy. In 1968, it had only been 12 months 
since a referendum, which actually counted Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders as human beings in this country. He said, I will stand with you. He made that decision. He wore the Olympic Project for Human Rights badge on the dais. He stood with them and supported their stand. Simple action. Would have taken maybe a few minutes. But those few minutes had a profound impact on his life. Profound impact on his life. And you know all about it. So what are we going to do? Well, when he died in 2006, the president of the American Track and Field Association came to his funeral in Melbourne. Tommy Smith and John Carlos came to his funeral. And the president of the American Track and Field Association declared the 9th of October, the day of his funeral, as Peter Norman Day. And they celebrate Peter Norman Day in the United States of America. In 2011, my late wife and myself were approached by Trevor Grant, very well-known Victorian sporting journalist who died of mesothelioma two years ago, to organise something to mark that day because he had had no traction anywhere in the corporate-owned media regarding getting stories about Peter Norman and his actions published. So in 2012, we celebrated Peter Norman Day. And we've been celebrating Peter Norman Day since then. Not a celebration of the man, because we all got feet of clay. Each and every one of us have our own foibles and weaknesses. But we celebrated his action because what he did is what each and every one of us is capable of doing when we see the hate mongers active in our community, whether it's you know abusing people because of their racial orientation, so because of their race, because of the colour of their skin, because of their sexual preference, because of their gender. We see it every day and we turn around, put our eyes in our, you know, in our phone and just ignore it. But we can do what Peter Norman did. And Peter Norman week this year, and we've made it a week, not just a day, but Peter Norman this week encapsulates the essence of what this is. I will stand with you. And on Tuesday the 9th of October, which is just around the corner, at midday sharp, we'll be gathering outside the Melbourne Town Hall to mark Peter Norman Day. And this year, we're not going to have any great guest speakers. We'll have an open microphone and we want people to tell us why they've taken the time off, why they are there, what that action means to them. And obviously, you're all invited to Peter Norman Day at Tuesday the 9th of October. On Thursday the 11th of October at 7pm at the Coburg Library at the corner of Victoria and Louisa Street in Coburg, there'll be a public forum which I'll be emceeing and speaking at about Peter Norman's human rights legacy, past, present and future. On Saturday the 13th of October from 2.30pm, there'll be the Women's 200 Metres Peter Norman Classic and the 
and the men's 400, 200 metres Peter Norman Classic, which will be held at the Tom Kelly Athletics Track at 123 George Street in Doncaster. And the most important part of the week goes from Tuesday to Tuesday, the 16th of October from 10am to 4pm. There will be I, I Will Stand With You Peter Norman Human Rights Summit to which you are all invited to. There will be keynote speakers, entertainment, question and answer forum and the list goes on and on. The Universal Human Rights Struggle, 1968 to 2018 and beyond at the Melbourne Unitarian Peace Memorial Church, 110 Gray Street, East Melbourne. If you want further information, go to the Peter Norman Facebook page. Peter Norman Commemoration Committee Facebook page. Simple. Or go to PeterNormanCC.com. PeterNormanCC.com. So, it's up to you. You can be Peter Norman for a day, once in your life, twice in your life, ten times in your life. But evil exists because we don't stand up to it. And once it grows momentum, it is very hard to stop because fear, fear of the other, is a great mobilising force for the hate mongers. This is the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. Now, I've noticed that my mates in the investment uh, world are having cold feet and the banks are beginning to realise that they're uh, backing a dead horse. And Westpac Bank has just given its interest-only loan investors, investors who own more than three or four houses, an ultimatum. Start paying the capital and interest or move on. Refinance somewhere else. Because what we see in this country, because of our beautiful you know, negative gearing laws, we've seen people go to the banks, buy property, using the bank's money, and a little bit of theirs, maybe 5 or 10%, and then only paying interest on those loans, hoping that the profit they will make from the rising housing market will give them a dividend at the end of the day. Well, it looks like the housing market has reached a peak. It's not crashing. But it's beginning to slowly slide downwards. And the banks are beginning to realise that these type of loans will not be profitable in the near future because we could have the situation where the money you owe on a home, because you've only been paying the interest if you're an investor, is actually less than the value of the home itself. And that means real issues for the banks. Let's move on. Now, what I like about our current Prime Minister, now what's his name again? Morrison, that's right. I thought it was Turnbull, maybe it was Abbott. It's difficult to know. But Mr Morrison, all right, had a bright idea yesterday before he was nobbled by the dinosaurs, the troglodytes in the Liberal Party. His bright idea was, let's have another day 
to celebrate this country's indigenous peoples. Hmm? Hmm? But let's keep the 26th of January. We want to keep the 26th of January as Australia Day. Now, for over 40 years, over 40 years, my late wife, Ellen Jose, was a Torres Strait Islander, and myself and hundreds of other people have been campaigning about changing the date of Australia Day. Now, I am sure, as, you know, loyal Australians, if the Japanese imperial forces had invaded Australia successfully, let's say on the 3rd of August 1942, and what, 70 years later, 80 years later, we would be trotted out every 3rd of August to celebrate Australia Day. We would be very unhappy. All those dinky-dye diggers out there would be exceptionally unhappy. Why should we celebrate our nationhood on the day we were successfully invaded by a foreign power and our sovereign rights, which we never ceded, were ripped out of our hands? Well, how do you think Indigenous Australians feel Every year, 26th of January, the day the colonisation process began at Port Phillip, when the settlement was established, the European colonisers, you know, set foot and stayed. Didn't go, didn't, you know, trap around and leave, but stayed. How do you think they feel? Hmm? So if Mr Morrison really wants to get his house in order, he could abolish Australia Day, change it to another day, a day which is not going to cause offence to a significant part of the population, not just Indigenous people, but those people amongst us who support their call for the change of the date. And I've got a little day that I would recommend that we uh, have Australia Day on, the 20th of January. Why the 25th of January? Because on the 25th of January, 1842, Tana Minoway and Mawboy two resistance fighters, were hung in Melbourne for the act of trying to push back the colonisation of Victoria in armed struggle, hung hung by the neck till they died and then buried in unconsecrated ground, hung by a bane before a bane public, publicly hung. So if they don't want to, you know, if they can do whatever they like for Australia Day, fewer and fewer people are going to actually take part in it. The revolt's there. Why don't we call the 20th of January... National Indigenous Freedom Fighters Day and celebrate and remember and commemorate all those Indigenous Australians who resisted colonisation for over 150 years. I mean, the last massacres were occurring in West Australia in the late 1920s. Well, if Mr Morrison wants a conversation, maybe he should go down that path. Listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia, 
via the Community Radio Network. You know, I love living in this country because although we have a lot of um, commentators, commentators, you know, commentators that comment on what's happening in the world, sometimes I'm just gobsmacked. Couldn't get the word out. I'm so gobsmacked. I was short of breath there. Now, Victoria is a new police unit which was set up in February 2018. And it's called the Fixated Threat Assessment Centre. And it's a de-radicalisation hub. It looks like the word radical has become nasty. And they wanted a good news story and they've let a few, you know, tame reporters in to tell us all that they've actually de-radicalised 90 Victorians since February 2018. Hmm, all right. I thought, oh, this is interesting. There's all these massive people out there. And then what they look for is early signs of violent extremist tendencies. You like that? Early signs of violent extremist tendencies. Then they go in and sort out the problem. Mainly a psychiatric, you know. They said, there's all these people out there who've got these injustices they've suffered and they've just carried them for generations, for years, for decades. And maybe one day they'll be tipped into a situation where they're going to do some violent action about it. So we need to de-radicalise them. And obviously, because they haven't done anything illegal, right? they haven't done anything illegal. This is a preemptive strike by the state. Early signs of violent extremist tendencies, right? They come and knock on your door. But the beauty is they're relying on psychological and psychiatric intervention. Not looking at the person's perceived injustice. Obviously, in many situations, there are perceived injustices. In other situations, there are real injustices. And trying to find a psychiatric or psychological solution, which in you know, in common English means tablets, medications. It's interesting because you can actually be forced into treatment. Now, look, I've been around long enough to remember the psychiatric units which were established in the Soviet Union to deal with dissidents. Because if you're a dissident and you found the particular form of government, you know, communism, unpleasant, and you resisted it, then you had a psychiatric problem. There are all these psychiatric conditions which have been manufactured. Is this what we're seeing now? The medicalisation of injustice? Are we seeing now the creation of a system which would allow people like you and me to be forcefully treated and be de-radicalised because we may, somebody thinks, we have early signs of violent extremist tendencies. Think about it. Listen to the Anarchist World this week. 
broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. And last but not least, ah, I'm so delighted. I'm so happy. I'm delirious with excitement. I'm almost feeling orgasmic about the fact that the budget deficit has dropped to $10.5 billion and they've made an unexpected $8 billion savings. Now, I can see all you nice people out there who believe government propaganda and the government gilded ABC and the corporate-owned media cheering, saying, Alleluia, brothers and sisters, we have seen the light. We have made all these budgetary savings. We have increased the tax take from all those corporations which pay voluntary taxation. Well, boys and girls, look, I'm sorry to disillusion you, but it hasn't come from an increasing tax take. There's been a little bit of a tax windfall. Corporations still aren't paying their fair share of tax. All the laws that are in there to minimise tax are still there. None of them have been repealed. But have these budget savings been made? One, the National Disability Insurance Scheme has been forced to go slow in processing people who need assistance. There's been a cap. That's right, a cap on the number of people employed to assess those people who are applying to go on to the National Disability Insurance Scheme. There are about 430,000 people which eventually will be on the scheme, but because of the go slow, which has been engineered by the federal government, only 195,000 have been processed to date, which means there was a saving. Do you know that? There was a saving. I'm just so excited. And then we have that pittance, which is the New Start allowance. And we've had all these changes in legislation to the New Start allowance, which now allow private corporations, which manage the system on behalf of the federal government, to penalise. New Start recipients who show a little bit of backbone. Could you imagine that? And it hasn't been increased, what, two decades? Hasn't kept up with inflation? So there's been savings there because people who are unemployed have been thrown off the scheme. I love it. I love it. This is so wonderful. And then we have the disability support pension. Now, disability support pension is quite a reasonable pension. It's a living pension. It allows people to live day-to-day who've got major disabilities. But guess what? What do you do? You refuse to put people in disability support pension. You make it so difficult for them to apply and the assessment criteria are so difficult that you throw people back on a new start allowance and then you save money. So the number of people who have actually, although we've got an increase in population growth and an ageing 
population where over 25% of people have some type of chronic disability, we now find the number of people who actually can apply and successfully gain a disability support pension have almost disappeared. More money saved. And then you've got those pesky single parents out there being forced to go to work when their kiddies turn eight. More money saved. So when you see our new treasurer crow about the fact that the budget savings has been extra $8 billion, remember it's been through the blood, sweat and tears of those Australians who are least able, least able to resist those changes. Who? So it's like kicking somebody when they're down. If you kick them hard enough, the money will roll out of their pockets and then you can pick up the money and say that you've got a budgetary uh, surprise $8 billion savings. It's wonderful to be living in the land of milk and honey. I'm sure you will agree with me. Let's go out and kick some more poor people. You know, government approves of it. Elizabeth of the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia by the Community Radio Network. Now, I didn't talk about public housing. We'll talk about it as we get on. It's a big issue. Maybe next week, maybe the week after. Don't forget, dinners with Joe Toscano. Uh, at La Pocetta, 392, Ligon Street, Carlton North, starts at 6, finishes at 9. Come along, buy your own food and drinks. We're not going to pay you. Come along, break that isolation you're in. Get involved, okay? Get involved. So, listening to the Anarchist World this week, next week, Facebook page, Toscano for the Public, Joseph Toscano. You can go to the Peter Norman Commemoration Committee Facebook page. You can go to the PIBCI, P-I-B-C-I webpage, download the application form, join public interest before corporate Go to the Anarchist Media Institute page, anarchistmedia.org. You can write to us. Yes, we still answer letter. Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. While I use the word stamps, we need $1 stamps to continue our uh, writing to members because, you know, sometimes people don't answer emails. I think it's junk mail. $1 stamps, Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. And if you want to leave a message, 0439 395 489, 0439 395 489, and I will answer you sometime tomorrow. Thank you for listening to the Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station courtesy of the Community Radio Network. Listen next week to The Anarchist World, this week via the Community Radio Network. Evil minds that plot destruction Sorcerer of death's construction An analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Anarchist World this week. Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. 10am every Wednesday. Listen to The Anarchist World this week for an up-to-date analysis of local, national and international events. Poisoning their brainwashed minds. Oh, Lord, yeah.